Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody. This is Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal podcast, home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. I am so glad you could join us. We have a great guest on today's show, the guitarist of Whitesnake, Joel Hoekstra, and joining me as co-host for today's episode, Mitch LaFon from the One-on-One with Mitch LaFon Podcast. How are you? Good. I'm good, and, and always a pleasure to, uh, to join you. Yeah, well, I figured you... Uh, had to join me on this episode because this episode almost didn't happen and you are the one who who basically saved it um i went to phone joel hoekstra at the given time of like 8 30 or something this is like a week or two ago and 
I had been given the wrong phone number, and, and he was sitting there waiting for me to call, and I was starting to panic and stress out, and uh, I wasn't getting through to him, and you saved the day. I sent you a quick email or texted you or something, and sure enough, you connected us within five minutes. So so thank you for saving uh, saving the interview. You know, very welcome. And, of course, anything to help your show and anything, of course, to help Joel because he's just one of those really nice guys, hardworking guy who deserves any fans' support. So glad it could happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's doing great work with White State now and... He also has Joel Hoekstra's 13, which he's going to tell us all about in the uh, in the interview. Yeah, on, on that note, let's let's get right into this. We're going to start start things off with a classic Deep Purple song, redone by by Joel and and David Coverdale and the White Snake guys. Uh, this is a, a great song. Originally featured Tommy Bolin, not Richie Blackmore, on guitar, and of course here we have. Uh, the, the new updated version of it by Whitesnake, and this is called Coming Home, featuring Joel Hoekstra on guitar, and after this song you will hear my interview with Joel here on Talking Metal.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and joining us on the line for the first time ever on Talking Metal, we have Joel Hoekstra. How are you, Joel? I'm great, Mark. Thanks so much for having me, man. Oh, it's about time. I mean, uh, you've done so much, and I'm you know, embarrassed we haven't had you on until this point, but there's a good reason now to have you on. You have a, a new solo record coming out, which I want to talk to you about. Um, Joel Hoekstra's 13. Uh, is the project or the band? Um, yeah, we're going to call, call it the pride, the side project name. Yeah. Okay, and the album is actually called "Dying to Live." So let's start with Joel Hoekstra's Thirteen. What is what is that all about? What does Thirteen represent? What does it stand for, if anything? Um, well, I didn't want to call it just Joel Hoekstra because I had three solo albums out years ago that were all basically instrumental guitar records that showcased my guitar playing ability so um, this is kind of the album that everybody's been asking for for years from me that uh, people that know me from night ranger and white snake etc that have seen me in uh, the melodic hard rock genre have been saying how come you don't make an album of your own that's just hard rock or melodic rock and so i finally decided to make that record and despite the fact that basically sounds very bandish i did all the writing on it uh, words and melodies and the whole nine yards and really the musicians uh, killer lineup i'll get to in a minute uh, the guys more or less just helped me out. I called in favors from all my favorites in 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 the music business right now, you know. So uh, I, it wasn't really fair to call it a band. Uh, so I thought the side project name was probably the best thing, and um, that way it's open to options moving forward. So Joel Hoekstra's thirteen, and uh, as far as the whole thirteen thing, uh, I was born on the thirteenth, married on the thirteenth, and so it's just been a bit of a lucky number for me, more or less. And uh, I just wanted something that could mean different things to different listeners as well. I didn't want to have some very specific title that gave off a total like one kind of vibe. Right on, right on. And let's talk about some of the incredible people that are playing on this record with you. Let's start with, on bass, Mr. Tony Franklin, who, of course, has played with Blue Murder and The Firm and real heavyweight. How did you get to know Tony, and how did you know he become involved with this, uh, this project? Yeah, so Tony and I had just done... Uh, another uh, side project together called VHF. That's more like psychedelic instrumental rock. Um, that's uh, just kind of instrumental rock that's very Pink Floyd-y. Or, uh, so anyway, yeah, when it came time to start this, I just said to Tony, like, hey, man, I was kind of interested in making just like a straight-ahead rock album. Would you be into doing that? And he was in, and uh, I was like, well, I guess we need a drummer. Who would you want to use? And and he, re- he was the guy to recommend Vinny Apice. And so we got we got Vinny involved, and I'd never met Vinny, but had always been a huge fan of his. I, yeah. I totally wore out the Dio stuff as a kid, man. So uh, anyway, uh, obviously he was thrilled to have Vinny come on board. He gave the thing total character, and um, then it was time to look for a singer, and I came across Russell Allen. He was joining up with Trans Siberian Orchestra, who I tour with in the winters. So. Uh, Russell's just ridiculous, dude. He can sing anything, and uh, so I had this like front half of an album with him singing. And I was like, I want to put some backgrounds on here, and I can't do all of them. And maybe I should hit up my buddy Jeff Scott Soto because uh, I'd played on a bunch of his stuff and co-written stuff with him. And this was like total call-in favor time for me on this album <laughs> from like all my all my buddies, man. So Jeff is like obviously totally overqualified to be a background singer, but he's totally cool and. 
he sang backgrounds on, on Russell's tracks, and then it was so cool that I was like, dude, you got to sing some lead on this thing, man. And so Jeff sang lead on the back half of, of the album, and uh, when it came time to fill the gaps and add some textures, I wanted a keyboard guy, and I asked Derek Sherinian, and, and he was cool with it. So, man, I mean, talk about a, a great lineup, man. Russell Allen, Jeff Scott Soto, Vinny Apice, Tony Franklin, Derek Sherinian, and um, I'm just so grateful, man. These guys were really cool to uh, lend their time and talents to bring these songs to life. Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's talk about the uh, the one song, "What We Believe," which actually features some some vocals from not from Jeff and not from Russell Allen, but from somebody else uh, in addition to one of them, right? Yeah, actually, my friend Chloe Lowry, who's just mental, insane, great singer uh, from Trans Siberian Orchestra. Uh, so I, I had the song that was basically just about like um, having hope in a relationship, more or less, like a male female duet. And uh, so I, I was just thought I'd hit her up, and and her and Jeff know each other from TSO, and and uh, boy, they sound they sound amazing together on it. I'm really honored to have both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, how many how many songs does Jeff actually sing lead on, and how many mm-hmm. does does Russell sing lead on? I think all in all, with all the bonus tracks and everything, Russell sang on seven, and Jeff sang on six. Cool, cool. Well, what a great uh, combo of vocalists there. That's that's absolutely... yeah, not too shabby, huh? I know. I'm really lucky, man. He's, like I said, these guys were cool to help me out, and and. Uh, it just was what it was. I needed to work around people's schedules quite a bit, and it took some time, and uh, it it was definitely a, a labor of love for me, but uh, I feel very connected with the album. I wrote all the words and melodies, um, you know, the whole nine yards, so I don't feel like it's like a typical super band thing that people put together where someone else writes the material and the guys just kind of get a paycheck, and um, I, it's material that, like, really means something to me, and uh, I'm very excited to get it out into the world, and I hope people dig it, man. You know, I think I would, the line I've been saying to people about the description of the way it sounds is, I would say, Dio-ish at its heaviest and foreignerish at its lightest. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of it, and uh, I would agree with that description. And it's just a great sounding record. And fans of classic hard rock and heavy metal are definitely going to like this record. Again, it's called "Dying to Live" by Joe Hoekstra's Thirteen. Joel, when's this coming out? October. October 16 on Frontiers Records, worldwide release, so very excited about that. And uh, I think between that and um, heading overseas and, and doing some touring, that I mean, hopefully I'll get some new fans and, and uh, maybe just uh, open some new doors in life, you know. And uh, I'm just hoping people will give it a chance, man, you know, and, and give it a listen because I, I think it's cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The Talking Metal listeners uh, will definitely check it out, and we will have links up in today's show notes where you can check out some uh, some videos and stuff that feature the the upcoming tracks. So uh, definitely go to TalkingMetal.com and check that out, guys. And again, Dying to Live is the album out in October. You mentioned some touring overseas. This isn't so. This isn't like doing the solo material. This is with White Snake, right? Yeah, yeah, with Whitesnake. Uh, we just finished up the North American run, which is three months, and it was just total rock and roll bliss, man. It's, uh, the honeymoon hasn't ended with me working for David yet. I mean, I'm really enjoying him, man. He's just a great guy, and he's a great musician, and, uh, we, what a killer lineup to be in a band with Tommy Aldrich and Red Beach and Michael Devin, and our, our new keyboard player is just phenomenal, and, 
uh, we, it was like a little bit of rock and roll bliss out there. Everybody's getting along great, and what a cool set we have going on. Uh, obviously, we're on the, the Purple Tour, for those that don't know, pulling from the songs David did with Deep Purple. So um, we're playing all the White Snake hits, plus all these killer, <laughs> like, you know, Deep Purple cuts that lend themselves to live performance and jams. So it's just a killer set. Cool. And, you know, obviously the, the last White Snake record, like you said, the Purple album, all remakes of David's classic stuff that he did with, with Deep Purple, with Richie Blackmore and, and, and Tommy Bolin too. Um, but, uh, let, let's, let's talk about original White Snake music. Do you foresee a, a time where you would start working with David on maybe doing some, some new original White Snake tracks? Yeah, that's obviously going to be all up to David. He, I think he's got a couple recording project ideas that he's batting about and that he's been talking about. So I think either one of those would definitely include some um, some original stuff. Uh, so I listen, I'm certainly ready and, and chomping at the bit. It's all just going to come down to when it's right for David. And, and right now, the uh, obviously, the, the focus is on touring on the Purple Album. So... Uh, there's going to be the, the right time for it, and I'm I'm really hoping that that can happen. Now, did you guys had Glenn Hughes come out on stage with you at, at one of the shows? Yeah, man. It was like a little bit of rock and roll history at the uh, Savant Theater in Beverly Hills. Nice. Uh, Glenn came to the show. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, dude. Brad Whitford was like at the monitor board watching. It wow. was a real fun show. Uh, but it was as cool as it was having Glenn out on stage to play with us, and he sounded killer and was just a great guy. It was even uh, better to be backstage because we had to run through these songs in this tiny little dressing room together with no amps or anything, just our electric guitars and David and him singing with no mics, no PA, no nothing. And uh, there was something just so cool about that. It was like taking these two legendary guys and David and, and Glenn and stripping it down to just like, you know, like a bunch of guys going through a song in somebody's living room or something. It was really fun to hear them sing together and to, and to see those guys interact. And, and um, you know, a tip of the cap to Glenn for uh, coming out with us. It was really nice of him to do that. You know, both those guys, too, uh, you know, Coverdale with Whitesnake and, and Glenn Hughes, just with so many different bands, including the, the California Breed record that he put out uh, last year. The, these guys are older guys, and they continue to put out just such hard rock and great stuff. And how, how do you think guys like that are, are able to keep their edge at their older age? Because not all guys are, you know? Yeah, I think it just it has to come down to the passion. I mean, I would say I talk about this with the band guys all the time. I mean, I'm sure David is probably set for life if he wanted to be, you know, have it all be over tomorrow. So I think he's out there because he loves it, and it's just in his blood, man. That's what he does. So, I, you know, I, I'm obviously uh, benefiting from that. So hopefully he doesn't stop <laughs> loving it anytime soon, man. I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying the, the whole experience of being in Whitesnake and, and I, I don't know Glenn very well at all. I really just met him that night, but he seemed certainly like a great guy and I'm, I'm sure he must have that same passion inside him as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned Night Ranger and we just spoke about Whitesnake, but there, there are so, in Trans Siberian Orchestra you mentioned, but there's so much 
stuff you've you've done uh, and a lot of it is you know in, within that hard rock you know metal world but a lot of it's not and and i wanted to just ask you about some of the names i saw listed on your website as as people or or groups that you've worked with and just hear a little bit about uh what the work was with some of these uh, non-hard rockers if you will let's start with with wyclef gene what what was your uh involvement with him and what work did you very do? very limited I went to go tape a reality show. I think it was Celebrity Apprentice. Um, uh, Debbie Gibson, who I had met filming the Rock of Ages movie, we were in a uh, cameo scene together. So we hung out for four days down there with Sebastian Bach and Nuno and, and those guys. And Debbie had said, hey, come down. I'm shooting this episode of Celebrity Apprentice. Wyclef is going to be there. So I went down and I played a little with her and I played with Wyclef there as well. Um, they shot it. I think, you know, what ended up airing on TV was about two seconds. So, right. uh, you know, it's, it's a stretch of a credit, but hey, I, I played with them. I, right. like, you know, that, that's the way I look at it. Like, well, I, I was there. I, I played guitar with Michael. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. What about the Turtles? That actually I got gigged with, man. That was part of my path up to where I am. When I moved out to New York, I did a show called Love Janice that was about Janice Joplin and I, Number one, began gigging with Big Brother in the holding company, and also one of my guitar subs was the guitar player in the Turtles, so he needed to miss some shows. I subbed for him, and right at that time, their bass player quit, and I actually ended up being the bass player in the band oh, for like, wow. yeah, it was like a year or something like that, and then the then the guitar player quit, and they moved me over to guitar and got a bass player, or got the old bass player back, so I, I, I went around and traveled with the Turtles for a couple of years or something like that. It was a great experience in terms of... Um, just learning to be a professional, singing backgrounds, and, and just playing solid music. And I, I think it's a good experience for a lot of guitar players who don't know how to do a gig that's not about them shredding and right. stuff like that. I, so for me, it was a great experience in learning how to be a pro. And that's still the same two guys, Flo and Eddie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um, and one, one last one, uh, Emily from the Indigo Girls. Uh, so that was a girl that I played in Chicago with named Kathy Richardson, who's a great singer-songwriter. She actually sings with, um, Jefferson Starship these days. Okay. Um, she made an album and one of the songs was a duet with Emily that I played guitar on. So basically like a studio credit kind of thing. So technically I'm on a studio recording with her singing somewhere. Cool. Well, the first time I ever saw you live was uh, in in New York City on Broadway doing Rock of Ages. And I wanted to uh, ask you about the Rock of Ages movie. Now, I know you were a big, big part of the, the long-running Rock of Ages performance on Broadway, but did you have any involvement in the movie with uh, with Tom Cruise? Uh, just that the cameo scene. I was not really a big fan of the movie, to be honest with you. They rewrote the script, and um, they, they, oddly enough, made it less dirty. I think they were trying to make it PG and hopefully have it appeal to kids, and I think it just it just didn't work uh, in the end. But uh, it was a great experience having a cameo just singing in a scene, and, and like I said, um, hanging out with uh, Sebastian and Nuno and Kevin Cronin from Mario and Debbie Gibson for a few days, and Lita Ford came to hang out with us. So it was, it was just it was a good time, but the movie itself didn't work um, for 
my money and and uh the, the live show did it was like all my friends that came down to see the the live show really ended up enjoying it and said you know what that was actually a really fun time i mean the the, the show made fun of itself um but the band played the stuff you have, you have number one you had a live band on stage for the entire show which is drastically different from watching the movie uh number two you had half naked uh women dancing around yeah. in their underwear up there which didn't hurt and um, you could have a drink in your seat, and the jokes were dirty, and so it, it was a good time, man. I, everybody that, like I said, all my musician friends that came down really enjoyed seeing the show on Broadway. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Joel, thanks so much for, for chatting with us here tonight on Talking Metal. And again, the new record is Dying to Live. It'll be out in October, and we'll have links up in today's show notes. And, uh, yeah, good good stuff. So you'll actually be out on the road with um, with Whitesnake when this comes out. But do you envision a, a time where you might go out and play some of these songs in the live setting? Uh, well, it's been a lot. It's been a lot just to get the album to come out. In all honesty, and I'll just figure out if 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 the demand is there, I'll try and supply it. I mean, I'll do anything I can to uh, support the record. So, I mean, I think it'll be awesome. It's the situation to have to be right, though. I I can't take all these these uh, classic players and say, hey, let's let's go play a, a bar gig somewhere. Right. right. So it have to be the right scenario, but uh, it certainly would be awesome. Cool. Perfect. All right, man. I'm glad we were able to uh, to salvage that, and thanks for pushing Me back. Me too. Here. I'm uh, sorry yeah, that so. there was a, a typo in there from her. So, um, yeah, my apologies. Yeah, no, well, it's not your fault. No, no worries, and uh, hope to see you soon, man. Okay, yeah, likewise, brother. Yep. Thanks so much for taking the time. Okay, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
What you just heard was my interview with Joel Hoekstra, and also we just heard the song Anymore by Joel Hoekstra's 13 that is available on iTunes for purchase. If you want to purchase the whole version of that song, go to iTunes. We just played a, a little sound sample of it here for you. So get the whole version on iTunes. Support Joel any way you can by... Uh, going to his site, giving his Facebook page a like, and you know, and buying his music legally online or go buy the CD. You're a big CD guy, right, Mitch? Yeah, in fact, uh, I, I went the extra step, like I do with most bands. I went to a CD Japan, uh, the company, uh, you can find them on the web, and I purchased the uh, 13 album with a bonus track because I'm, I'm Mr. Oh, nice. Bonus Track. I, I feel incomplete if I know there's a song by a band I like that I don't have, so... Yeah, I went. I went the extra mile and, and forked out. I think thirty five bucks to to get the whole the whole kit and caboodle. More Joel yeah. is always good. Yeah, you know it's it's amazing. I, I still spend so much money buying music. I mean, I feel like a, a lot of the fans assume that you know I get all the tickets for free, all the all the CDs for free, and, and you know there's some of that as a fringe benefit with with talking metal. But honestly, guys, I, I still you know spend a lot of money on tickets, a lot of money on CDs. And, and I, I think it's, it's important that you do that for the bands that you love. Well, you, you got to support them or they're just not going to be here. And, and like you, a lot of folks assume that I get a lot of stuff for free. And what I do get is you'll get a link to go to a website to check out the music in advance, but that doesn't cut it for me. I don't like to own air. I think it's Alice Cooper who actually famously said that. I like to actually have the physical product. So when I like a band, and I and, and even bands that I get these promos for that I don't know, and I go, wow, this is really good, uh, like the Biters, for example, recently, or the Backyard Babies recently, I will go and find that deluxe version. And I, will, I mean, I'm spending easily 300 bucks a month or more on wow. cds I, i'm just i'm i'm insane in my love of purchasing music right on and the new joel hoekstra cd actually it's uh, joel hoekstra's 13 is called dying to live check your local listings i believe in this country in the u.s it is not out just yet it'll be out uh october 16th but you can buy two of the tracks including that one that we just heard uh on itunes on iTunes now, so uh, definitely do that and uh, support Joel. If I, if can I add one thing? Head Absolutely. over to YouTube and uh, type in Joel Hoekstra. He's got a great video with Jeff Scott Soto from this album, cut from one of this from this album. It is just a fantastic performance video. The song is great. Uh, Jeff Scott sounds great. It, it, it you know YouTube. Just go to YouTube and watch it. It's fantastic. Cool. I, I haven't done that, so I will do that. And on that note, let's check out some more new music. This is Christian Mistress. Do you know these guys, Mitch? Not at all, but I, I wouldn't mind having a Christian mistress. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> I kid, of course. I kid. I'm happily married for uh, 13 years, I guess, now. Excellent. Well, good for you. And uh, this this band kind of has a, a real rough around the edges flavor to them. They, they, in some ways, remind me of that like early, early 80s, late 70s hard rock and heavy metal before things kind of got overly produced in the 80s. You know, the, the new wave of British heavy metal kind of sound, if you will. They, they kind of have that and they're, they're kind of popular and in the hipster crowd right now. Again, this is Christian Mistress off their new record. The song is called Neon, and the new record is called To Your Death. 
Let's check it out right now on Talking Metal.
What you just heard was a little Christian mistress here on Talking Metal. And I'm going to play another song right now, Mitch, uh, that this features a guy that you introduced me to, who I've been a fan of for a long time, Ray Luzier from Corn, yeah. And he yeah. plays drums on this song, along with Billy Sheehan handling the, the production duties. And this is a, a young lady who I, I met a couple different times uh, at a That Metal Show taping um, in New York City. She once was a guest of Michael Angelo Badio, and then she came back as a guest of Billy Sheehan, and uh, she told me she was a musician. I, I listened to some of her stuff, and here we are maybe four or five months later, and I get a, a email from Chipster, who's representing her in uh, promoting the, the new record, which, again, features Ray on drums, Bumblefoot does some guitar on it. Billy does some guitar and bass on it and helps produce it. It's a it's a great record. Her name is Madam Mayhem, and this is the lead-off track off the album. It's called Monster. Can't stop staring at me 
What you just heard was the song Monster by Madame Mayhem, uh, Jersey girl, New York girl. I think she actually lives in Jersey. I don't know. Some people have like a stigma about New Jersey. They don't really want to be known as a as a as a Jersey person. Jerseyite or whatever. But come on, you got you got Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, right. uh, Skid Row. I mean, who else? Uh, yeah, well, what else you got in Jersey? That's about it, right? Well, smithereens. Uh, yeah, yeah. Overkill, of course, as far as metal goes. But um, the uh, yeah, May- Madam Mayhem will have her site linked and, and go support what she's doing because she's got a great record out with some great players on it. And speaking of Jersey, Mitch, what what is going on with Bon Jovi? I'm I'm reading all this stuff uh, about the guitar players, and I know there's been some some people brought in since Richie. Sambora disappeared from the band. Can you update us on who's currently in yeah. or out of the band? Yeah. You know, uh, there was a report that came down earlier this week that Phil X was out and local Jerseyite, or is that how you say it? A Jerseyite or a Jerseyan? Jerseyite, um, I guess. Jerseyite. Yeah. Matt O'Ray was going to step in. Now, that report is is inaccurate. Phil X is still in Bon Jovi. He's still for the lack of a better word, assuming the role of Richie Sambora. But Matt is going to join Bon Jovi, replacing Bobby Bandieres, who who has been the touring guitarist with Bon Jovi. God, I'm trying to think for how long. At, at least from Lost, the Lost Highway tour, if not earlier. Wow. So and, he was playing with the band when Richie was, was in the band. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you've seen Bon Jovi live in the last 15 years, they've had a couple of extra people on the stage to sort of round out the sound, Bobby being one of those. And so now he's gone. Uh, I don't really know why he's gone. I don't know if it's a money issue, it's a health issue. He's got another project. I, I have no idea. But Matt is going to join in. And What's interesting is if you go to YouTube and you type in Bon Jovi, Matt O'Ree, and I think that's how you say it, it's O apostrophe R-E-E, uh, you'll find a lot of clips of David Bryan and him doing, you know, who says you can't go home, living on a prayer and stuff like that. Hmm. And quite frankly, um, he sounds great singing. Uh, his guitar playing sounds great too, but he's got a great voice. So if he's going to come and add that to the Bon Jovi sound, they might just be a force to be reckoned with again because he really rounds out the vocal nicely, at least when he's doing the stuff with David Bryan. So we'll see. Let's see how it goes with Bon Jovi. So they got two new guys, basically. Yeah. Is there any chance that, that Richie could ever end up back in the band? I mean, I know there's always a chance, but what what are the odds in your opinion? I mean, do we see that happening or is that... I don't see that happening in the next five years. In the next 10 or 15, absolutely. I think at some point, you know, you get all your yayas out. John does what he does and Richie does what he does. And then you just realize, you know what? We could probably make so much more money, so much better music. I'm sure by, you know, 2025 or 2020 even that we'll see a collaboration again. I don't think that you can keep those two guys apart for the rest of eternity. There's too much money. There's too much history. There's too much love of the fans. There's too much desire from the I fans. I mean, as a fan, it's like, I, you know, I, I, I was a big Bon Jovi fan back in the 80s, and, you know, I saw them opening for Rat on the 78 uh, 100 degree Fahrenheit tour or whatever that is. And then I, I saw them play two nights sold out in Chicago on the slippery when wet tour. And it was like, just so phenomenal. I loved it. Such great stuff. 
Um, but, you know, I, I definitely now I'm more of a casual fan. And as a casual fan, I... I don't know if I want to go see them without Richie Sambora. I mean, he to me, he's such an iconic, you know, figure on that Bon Jovi stage, and uh, not not to mention his backing vocals are, are a big part of the sound. His guitar is a big part of the sound. I, I don't know. I really would like to see those two uh, get back together and do some work together. Yeah, uh, it's got to happen. It, you know, I think at some point we'll see Tico Torres step aside because of age or health or whatever. Right. He's a little older than the other guys, right? A little older. And, uh, you know, David Bryan, I think, is sort of always going to be there. Uh, Ewe McDonald is a non-issue. He's a great guy. Plays great, but he's not really part of the whole image. Um, R- Richie's definitely going to come back. I-, I don't think that they can stay mad at each other or away from each other for 20 years. Right. So we'll see. I think it's just a question of time. A little bit like Guns N' Roses, maybe. But I do think, you know, since we're talking New Jersey, I do think Sebastian Bach and Skid Row will never play together again. So I'll put that one out there gratuitously. Huh, that's interesting. And speaking of Jersey, we uh, have a couple Guns N' Roses members who live in the state here. One right in my town, Frank Ferrer drummer who's i know been on your podcast one-on-one with mitch lafon and bumblefoot uh you know it it seems like even though bumblefoot hasn't made a public statement that now even sites like blabbermouth are basically saying he's not in the band he's definitely out of the band and and again he still to my knowledge, he's dropped hints, but he, he's never really officially come out and say, hey, I'm, I'm not in the band anymore. We've had DJ Ashba come out and, and say he's absolutely not in the band. Tommy Stinson basically said, oh, I don't know what's going on. I haven't heard from anybody, from anybody, you know, really since Vegas. I don't know what the status of the band is. Why, 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 I wonder why Bumblefoot isn't confirming or denying his status in the band well i'm going to go with two theories here theory one he could have a contractual obligation of non-disclosure and not you know saying stuff publicly where guns and roses inc gets to make an opening statement could be that i mean you know could be that or it could simply be uh keeping your name in that whole guns and roses hopper is good for for business it's good for promotion it's good for bumblefoot Maybe it's a bit of both. Right. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, listen, I don't think he's been that obscure or obtuse about it. He, he's, I think he's hinted enough that we get the, the idea that, you know what, I'm not part of the band anymore. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because when DJ Ashba quit, you know, I, I, I am friends with Ron on Facebook as 4,999 other people are. And right, uh, including myself. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he posted something, which I, I believe he may have then taken down later, like saying, Oh, you know, best, best of luck to him is what he said when DJ Ashba quit. And it wasn't to him. It was spelled to, to, um, like, T-O apostrophe E-M. And then, of course, he got a million replies to that comment on his Facebook, which he had linked the, the DJ Ashba announcement um, saying, oh, best of does that mean you're out, too? And then he said, all I all I was referring to was 
that DJ has is no longer playing with the band. I'm not talking about myself. Like he said something like that in one of the the comments, which I, I don't know. I just thought was was weird. And then later, I think the whole comment thread disappeared. Um, so yeah. So there's, there's, I don't know. There's what did DJ Ashba just have good lawyers, you know, working with Nikki Six that he could work around the whatever the agreement was that he wouldn't talk publicly about it, or did Nikki Six put pressure on DJ Ashba to cut ties with with Guns and Roses? And you know, I could see DJ Ashba just being sick of having to constantly ask answer questions about guns and roses when he's trying to promote 6am or something i mean what are your thoughts on dj ashba's exit from the band do you do you, how how is he able to say something about leaving the band and maybe some of the other guys aren't well i'll start off by saying it's in total speculation on my part but he could have had the same kind of agreement that ran out after a specific time because if you if you remember the last show was july of 2014 he came out july 2015 so he might have had a you can't say anything for one year uh you know he also could just simply really want to just focus on 6 a.m and promote that because that seems to be the band of the future with nikki making new music and he might have just said listen i'm i'm going to throw caution to the wind and if guns and roses wants to sue me well god bless him but i got to get out of here cuz i got this other project and i don't want to be tied down to guns and roses questions you know they'll be like hey tell me about the new 6am album okay great now let's talk about guns and roses for the next 15 minutes right, right. i can i can see that he'd want to get out from under that rock oh absolutely absolutely yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the arrangement was. Let's 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 also, based on media reports and what we know, uh, DJ and Axel had an incredible, great friendship. You know, Axel might have just said, "Hey, DJ, do what you gotta do." It could have just right. been as easy as a friend and a handshake, and you know, do what you got. Who knows? I mean, yeah, uh, it could yeah, have been. all yeah, speculation, right. all speculation. Right. I don't want people to requote me and say, Mitch LaFont said, this is the gospel. Yeah, which they will. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, of course, they will. Yeah. But when people go back and listen to the tape, they'll go, uh, he said speculation at least 10 times. So we know. <laughs> right, right. Now, Mitch, I know you have another interview tonight. Is that coming up at nine or do you have a few more minutes we can we can chat? No, it's at 30. 10, 30. 10, oh, OK, cool. So let, let's keep going with the Guns N' Roses thing here while, while we're on it, because um, the the other thing that I found interesting was that recently, you know, we we don't truly DJ's out. We don't really seem to know the status of a lot of the other guys. Uh, I will tell you that I do correspond with one of the other members uh, from time to time, and he told me in July, early July. Hey, I'm going to have a big announcement, and uh, he didn't say that. He said, "I'm going to have something to talk about in mid-August." This is exactly what he said, and uh, let's let's do an interview in mid-August. Cool. Um, and I was like, absolutely, you know, cause I'd reached out to him in early July and he said, I don't want to do it now, but I'll, I'm going to have something to talk about in, in mid August. And, uh, I've since reached back out to him. And, um, at one point, I think it was early August. He was like, yeah, hit me back in two weeks, which I did. And I've been hitting him back like every week since then and crickets, no response from the email. Uh, so, which also makes me scratch my head. That's one of the members of Guns N' Roses. And then the other thing that makes me scratch my head is Dizzy and Frank both recently 
were part of a contest on GunsNRoses.com where you could win a phone call from Guns N' Roses members, Frank Ferrer and, and, and Dizzy Reed. And, you know, if you get to talk to them on the phone, you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you get to talk to your heroes from the band. And Frank and Dizzy were, were the two members of the band. And this is recently, within the last six weeks, I'd say, were the two members of the band that, uh, that you won the phone call from. That, that contest is over. It's it's no longer even listed on GunsNRoses.com, but it was absolutely there. And Frank, on his Facebook page, uh, recently started right around the same time as the contest was like a proud. I've been a proud member of Guns N' Roses for nine years, and started saying all this stuff like almost out of the blue, like reconfirming. Subtly, I guess you could say that that he's definitely still a member of of Guns N' Roses, which I, I found interesting, uh, and it makes me wonder that if there is some talk, like we hear Fred Durst and numerous other people in the press speculating about uh, on a reunion, uh, would they use Frank? Would he be the one maybe holdover from the you know Chinese democracy, the new guns, if you will, would he be the one holdover who would maybe go out with Slash, Duff, and who knows, maybe Izzy, and and they would cast aside Steven Adler, who just recently said he knows nothing about a reunion, and maybe they wouldn't use Matt Sorum. Maybe they would go with Frank. Is is that is that a possibility in your eyes, Mitch? Oh, I, I absolutely think it's a great, great possibility because. You know, in one sense, if you take Steven Adler out, the chances of him doing the use your illusion stuff properly, in my opinion, is very uh, slim to minimal. Uh, Matt, of course, can do the, the appetite stuff, but, but Frank has got such a feel for both eras, for, for both, uh, other drummers. And he's just such a, a great, great talent. I, I really think that he might just be the guy to keep. Um, and no disrespect to Matt and Steven. I mean, I, I'm big fans of theirs. They, they've meant a lot to me in my life, you know, with their music and stuff. But I think Frank is definitely somebody that uh, if they did a reunion and they had to choose between these three drummers, I really think Frank is sort of the leading horse in that race. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, Duff did play with Frank on the, the South American tour when he rejoined Guns N' Roses for whatever it was, two or three weeks. And they did a handful of shows and maybe it was like, could have even been like 10 shows or something. And then they also did the golden gods, uh, show in, in, uh, in LA with the revolver golden gods show. So, so, uh, I, I, you know, I have no inside knowledge and I, I, I do live in the same town as Frank and, and occasionally see him. But one thing we never talk about is, is guns and roses because I, I do feel he's, He's very careful with uh, with talking about the band to <laughs> people blabbermouths like me, you know. So uh, I have no, no inside knowledge on that, I, but I, I do I do follow all the GNR, you know, rumors and gossip and news reports pretty closely, and and uh, I just found that curious that he was out of all the the new Guns members, you know, because Dizzy he's a holdover from the old days, really, you know. Right. But well, he was there from ninety one or ninety two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on Use Your Illusion, you know. So um, I found it interesting that Frank was the one new guy who's who's really without a doubt confirmed that he 
is still a member of the band, or at least he believes he's still a member of the band. And you're not really hearing that from Chris Pittman. You're not hearing that from from uh, Richard Fortas. You know, I, I think the last thing for Fortas was on your show a while back. That was a while ago. At this at this point, and even his answers on there seemed. I mean, what did he actually say to you? Oh my! I mean, we're going back six or seven months, but but it did. I did get a sense that you know the Dead Daisies, his new band, is sort of the future for him. Uh, which made me sort of believe that maybe Guns N' Roses was the past for him. Now, he didn't say that clearly because a lot of these guys speak sort of cryptically to Guns N' Roses guys when it comes to reunion talk and, you know, but, but I get a, listen, I, I get a sense that if, a, that we might not get a proper, proper reunion with all the guys, but I think if we can get Axel slash Duff on stage, That'll satisfy uh, most fans, and yes. I think it'll satisfy most promoters, which at the end of the day is really the key. It, the promoter's going to say, yeah, I'm paying for that lineup, and but that one you can go stick it in a club because I don't care. And I think you put Slash and Axel together with Duff, I think promoters are going to say, okay, let's yeah. go. Definitely. Uh, you know, I don't think Frank, uh, Matt, or um, – who am I thinking of? Uh, Steven Steven. is really going to change a promoter's perspective. Uh, Gilby and Izzy fans. We love them. I don't think a promoter is really going to say, Oh, okay. You got Gilby in the band. Oh, well, great. You know, so we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll see. Um, you got the tall blonde guy, the guy with the top hat and Axel. That's, 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 those are the iconic guys of the band, you know? So, yeah. Well, they've, they've really always been the voice of the band. I mean, Steven and Matt, back when they were in the band, really didn't do a lot of the interviews, uh, or were the, or should I say, weren't the focus of the media. They might have done a few interviews here and there. Gilby and Izzy really didn't speak to anybody. It was really Slash, Duff, and Axel that were the face of Guns N' Roses. And I think uh, if a reunion happens, those are the three faces that are on the poster prominently. The rest, no disrespect doesn't really matter. It's right. not going to change the, the promoter's uh, pocketbook or willingness to have the band in. What did you think of the Fred Durst thing that was like up on TMZ where he was claiming to be the Kissinger, you know, Henry Kissinger guy between Slash and Axel? It was, was he serious? Well, that's hard to say. You know, I, I've only spoken to Fred Durst once. It was a, a late night bumping into at the Rainbow in, in L.A., uh, seemed like a nice guy, but who knows? Uh, could it just be he's trying to get some publicity? Could it be that he actually knows something? I'm not sure. And listen, if he did get Axel and Slash talking, well, good for him. Uh, you know, thank you, because the rest of us would love to have made that happen, too. So good for him. Um, it seemed serious because on TMZ, the, the reporter asked the question sort of from a, a position of, I know you know that – you know, I know yeah, that it, it it almost seemed like, like Fred had tipped the re- reporter off. Hey, you should ask me this or something. Right. Or, that, or the that? reporter was a Fred's f- uh, friend and he was sort of like it was sort of semi staged. But that's OK. Yeah. It seems staged to me. Yeah. It I did. thought the same thing. And and uh, I, even the whole thing seems staged. Like even like there's like these gorgeous girls just hanging out. Maybe I like to think that Fred Durst doesn't hang out with top models anymore but it, it, it just the whole thing seemed kind of a little little off to me like uh it was set up for the camera 
Yeah, but, you know, I, I go back to the KISS reunion tour of 96. As far back as 90, end of 93, early 94, there were these rumblings. And then, of course, if you notice, KISS, the band, didn't really do any shows in 94, 95. They were, they were almost completely off the road. I think they did, you know, the Foundations Forum or something. Yeah, really limited uh, runs. Ace and Peter did this... Um, Bad Boys tour, and then there was sort of nothing for a while. And then the three, the pattern seems to be repeating for Guns N' Roses. You know, Guns with the new guys has been off the road. And there's been a little bit of rumblings. Uh, you know, Slash and his band are doing shows, but not at the pace that they were doing previously. Duff is now uh, working on songs with Izzy. Um, there, there just seems to be sort of a, a total repeat of the Kiss reunion yeah. pattern. So good observation, oh. definitely. And there's also this other rumor out there, which kind of feeds into what you're saying, that Slash is now calling off interviews. I don't, I don't know, because there was this thing, some Swedish interview or something recently, where they, they got it out of him that, that he and Axel are indeed talking again, which isn't what he told Charlie Rose back on the morning news show here in the States, uh, you know, three, three or four months ago, he, he told Charlie Rose that, that they had gotten their, their differences behind them, but, right. but that they, he, he made it sound like they still really weren't on talking terms, but, uh, yeah, there's a know. controversy with that Swedish thing too. There, there, there's been sort of these conspiracy theories. I've been, I've been following the guns and roses threads that the reporter actually edited all that together to make it appear as though he actually said that um, hmm. you, know, you and I don't have access to the tapes or to the interview so who knows if it was edited it seemed legit but listen so did Star Wars right <laughs> yeah I, I can't imagine that it was edited I mean uh, there there could be some sort of lawsuit or something involved I would think if, if yeah, it were edited the, the but... only thing I can go to is my interview with Slash which is on on one on one with Mitch Lafonna you know, right. shameless Fairly shameless, shame, yeah. shameless plug right well in fact it was exactly a week before the Swedish guy right right and um we we broached the subject right at the end and he didn't say no he said you know, you know, I, there was a talk of, you know, would you like to revisit that in the future? And he said, well, who knows? Um, you know, my right. my gut feeling is that if somebody asks you a question and the answer is no, you don't go, you say, well, you know, just go no. Right. 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 And when I talked to Slash, I'm trying to think uh, in 2013, I guess, was my last interview with Slash. I, I said, you know, 25 years ago, Appetite for Destruction came out, talked to me about it. And he goes, yeah, I don't talk about that band. And he was very like, yeah, don't bother me with that. And then here now, a couple of years later, he goes, yeah, well, who knows? It's like, oh, okay, that's, right. that's a different. And you um, specifically were asking him about a 30-year anniversary for, for Appetite, yeah, right? Right. And he said, Which well, would be 2017, I believe. Right. Hashtag GNR 2017, yeah. <laughs> which I love to throw on my Twitter just, just for, for, you know, if I can use bad language, shit and giggles, right? Yeah. Sure. But, um, um, yeah, you know, that, that who knows was interesting to me. Maybe I'm putting too much weight onto it, but it just, it just, it just occurs to me that if somebody says to you, uh, you know, do you like to stomp on puppies? You go, well, no, you don't go, well, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Right? right. If the answer is no, you go no. So, you know, it could be as as we all get older, you start reflecting, going, oh, you know, that fight we had when we were twenty. I mean, come on, yeah. Let's just go out. 
let's make some music. We'll make a, a ton of money at the same time. But before we pass away, we could just say, hey, you know what? Us five guys, we got to shake hands. We got to say it's been nice. And we can actually end this on our terms because Guns N' Roses certainly did not end on our terms. I mean, Gilby sued. Slash was essentially semi-kicked out, quit. Duff just sort of vanished from the, the picture. Uh, you know, Izzy just faded away. I mean, that's not exactly ending it on your own terms. Right, right. So, right. Who knows? Who knows? I'm, I'm in, the, very, in the words of Slash, who knows? Who knows? I'm, I'm hopeful. The, the one thing that I will throw in there for in, in sort of a reality check kind of way is uh, to get a tour on the road, you need tour insurance. You need an underwriter for the tour, you know, in case shows get canceled. And I think that with the track record of late shows and ride, that might be such a sticking point that they could not get tour insurance, even if they want a tour, and therefore the tour could not happen for sort of these political, technical, legal reasons. And and that's another part of the equation that might make the whole thing really difficult to get off the ground, other wow. than the five guys, right? So Right, right. All right. Well, good talk as always, Mitch. Thanks so much for joining us here on Talking Metal. We yes. want to uh, remind everybody that, that you have a podcast, One on One with Mitch LaFon, which is part of the Talking Metal digital platform, and you can get that right on TalkingMetal.com. We also do another show together with Mitch Joel called Metal Raps, and uh, that uh, is uh, out there on Spreaker and iTunes, and uh, we usually put it out over this feed, too. So, Definitely uh, stay in touch with Mitch LaFon on, on Twitter, at Mitch LaFon. And what's, what's your Facebook, Mitch? It is uh, Facebook one-on-one -on -one with Mitch. But remember, go to iTunes for Talking Metal, Metal Raps, one-on-one. -on -one. Leave a review. We, we of course, prefer the five-star reviews, right. but the reviews help raise the profile, help keeps us current. You know, iTunes, through whatever algorithms they use with reviews, they start putting it as, you know, podcast of the week or, you know, top 10, check it out. And a lot of that has to do with those five-star ratings. So please, if you like any of the shows or, or all three, just head over to iTunes, hit that five-star, say, hey, I love this. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for your support. That's, that's uh, It's important to remember that. Absolutely. And of course, we have our Amazon links, which you guys have been using, and I appreciate that. And there's always the PayPal tab if you want to make a donation to uh, what I do here that way. Uh, and T-shirts uh, in the merch section on TalkingMetal.com. So anyways, thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you, Mitch, for being a part of the show. It's always great to uh, discuss the the rumors and, and news stories with you. I always enjoy that. So uh Hopefully you'll uh, you'll be back on this show soon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, please again check out one on one as well. I got a great dual episode with uh, John Bush of Armored Saint and Frankie Bello of uh, Anthrax, uh, talking about each other, uh, even though the, they're on separate interviews. So that that's a cool one to check out. Uh, and thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure. And I'll just finish by saying this: uh, you got to meet Ray Luzier of Corn at Heavy Montreal. Isn't he just one of the nicest guys you will ever talk to? Yes. Yeah. And again, he played on that song we played earlier, Monster, by by Madam Mayhem, which is uh, off her new record, which is called uh, Now You Know. And and he just does some amazing work with, 
with so many different bands. I'm a big fan of the album he put out with the DeLeo brothers, Army of Anyone. Of course, all the stuff he's done with Korn and, and uh, David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth and uh, what's the, the, the stuff he's done with George Lynch and mm-hmm. um, uh, Doug Pinnock uh, uh, from King's, King's X. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, K, K, uh, KXM or K... Oh, I forget what it's called off the top of my head. Yeah, it's oh. KXM, which stands for Corn. Right. Uh, the X is for King's X, and the M is for the Mob of Lynch Mob. KXM, great, great album. One of my favorite albums from 2014. Definitely check it out. And uh, that's it. So thanks, guys, and we will talk to you next time. Perfect.